0: Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Hope and Patience. Just to give you the heads up that our special edition H&P chocolate bar, my fave milk, lemon and sea salt recipe is being made and should be ready very soon. The good news is that it's free. The bad news is that you'll just have to win it. So keep an eye out on our social or subscribe to our newsletter to be in with a chance to win a bar or maybe two. Our guest today is Phyllis Cohen, the founder of Face Lace. She and her team design and create dramatic, evocative and sexy ready to wear face makeup. To quote Phyllis exploding eye candy, which has attracted 72,000 homegrown followers on Instagram. With no formal makeup training, Phyllis has worked with photographers such as David Bailey, to name just one, celebrities the likes of the late David Bowie, Lady Gaga, Carly Minogue, Katy Perry, Dame Kelly Holmes, Annie Lennox, the Rolling Stones, editorials including Vogue, Dazed and Confused, and commercially with the VA, Mac, and Pink Floyd, to name just a few. So you get the idea, she works with big names. Looking after her 102-year-old father-in-law, her hubby, and one of her children whilst keeping her business on the road is quite a challenge, and I'm hugely grateful to have Phyllis here with us today. So it's time to welcome to H&P,
1: Phyllis. Hi, Amelia. Thank you very much for inviting me on here. I'm really excited to have this chat with you, um, and it makes me remember the first time we met, which was also quite an interesting occasion.
0: <laughs> it was, Phyllis, wasn't it, in the House of Commons, mm-hmm. defending... IP against cheeky copy artists to the exactly. MPs, lobbying we were doing, weren't we?
1: Yeah, invited for lunch, no less. It was very <laughs> interesting. It was it very, was very, very interesting. interesting.
0: IP is so important, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's really what your brand is about. Definitely. So Phyllis, you founded Face Lace, I think in 2012. Exactly. Could you tell us all about where the creation of Face Lace came from?
1: I mean, was it always your dream? It was something that was sort of bubbling in the back of my brain for quite a long time. And um, it sort of kept popping up every once in a while. So I originally started off as a fashion illustrator. uh, And at the time where I graduated um, from art school, there wasn't really that much fashion illustration happening. So the model agencies used to send um, their new models to the school to get photographs done by the fashion photography students, and I um, used to do makeup for them. Just by doing that, um, by the time I left Art Center, I had two portfolios, one for illustration and one for makeup work. So um, in 1982, I decided to leave Los Angeles because um, the kind of illustration I was doing and the kind of makeup I was doing was a bit too creative for what was going on in um, California at the time. Mm -hmm. And even uh, for New York, the stuff I was doing was too wild. But people were very good about seeing me. I saw a lot of uh, beauty editors for like American Elle, and um, I remember she was really um, supportive It gave me this long list of people to contact when I got to Milan, which was my next stop. So um, with those names, I arrived in Milan and one of the first people I went to see was uh, Franca Sozani. She really liked what I was doing. Um, she liked both my illustration and my makeup. And she said, listen, you know, I would like to give you an editorial. You can do whatever you want. You can do illustration, you can do makeup. So I stayed in Milan for about eight months. And then I came to London because in August, everything basically closes down in Milan. So I thought, well, let me go to London and see what's happening there. And I never went back to Milan. (laughs) I just stayed in London um, because I really loved it here. And I love um, the individuality that people have in England. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really love that England, I think, really celebrates the eccentric. And I just love that about England Um, and always will. I remember being on the tube and there'd be like a punk with one of these rainbow mohawks that was like up in the air, like two feet sitting next to someone that looked like my grandma. And I just went to look at I this I remember window. that sort of
0: Mohican, that Mohican yeah, exactly. time and sort of chains and tartan yeah. kilts and yeah. it was real sort of punk rock, wasn't it?
1: Exactly. And I just thought, wow, that's just so amazing. You know, that this coexists and that it's completely fine. And um, so, yeah, I thought, well, you know, this is the place for me. And I did actually arrive just at the time of the New Romantics. People uh, like Steve Strange, mm-hmm. he had a band called Visage, who had the hit song Fade to Gray, which came out just before I arrived. But he was a really a big deal, and he was incredibly well-connected. And um, he, I did some makeup on him, and he kind of spread the word, just because he just was one of those people that used his influence to help anyone who he felt had some talent. Um, so from then I started to work with Annie Lennox, Boy George, and the whole uh, Blitz crowd became kind of aware of me, and they did a, a feature on me in Blitz Magazine, which of course is no longer going. Blitz was the famous nightclub, you know, which was just a hive of creativity, of the eccentric. <laughs> and a lot of um, great, great people come up, came out of that, Era, um, people like Stephen Jones, the milliner, Boy George, of course, lots and lots of DJs and other musicians, and you know, David Bowie go- went there, and you know, tons of people. It was it was a fantastically creative time, and little by little, I began to get more and more attention, and there were a few key people that really helped me at the beginning. Um, One of them was a fashion editor called Harriet Jagger. She was working for the Observer Extra, which is the weekend supplement that comes, you know, on the weekend with your giant newspaper. Mm -hmm. And um, she asked me to work with Stephen Jones, a fantastic milliner. And he said, well, I would quite like to do something very monochromatic. And Robin Beach had the idea of doing something, doing a makeup where the shadows were painted on rather than created by light. Mm-hmm. So we did this. The Observer magazine, they really liked this image and they put posters of it all over town. And this was the image that uh, David Bowie saw uh, when he asked me to work on his jazzing for Blue Jean video. And he he felt it was really relevant. He, When he thought about his past, all the past characters that he did, of Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane and Pinops and all those, um, you know, really extreme versions of himself that he felt like that was a sort of shadow of his former self. And that's why he wanted to use this shadow makeup to describe this new character that he was developing for his jazzing for Blue Jean, Screaming Lord Byron. Of course, that was a really fantastic experience to work on that. And he was incredibly patient, and kind and you know realized um the first time we met and i did the first trial of the makeup i was really nervous you know i was like 25 (laughs) years old he was my idol um it was just me and him in a hotel room me doing this makeup and you know he was just incredibly sweet and then um you know he approved it it was used for the video and yeah so that was probably the greatest highlight in terms of a celebrity experience that I had in my career. Just amazing.
0: Yeah, must have been unbelievable. So how did that all feed into creating Face Lace?
1: Yes. Okay, there's a few different strands. Okay, so in the 80s, I started to do um, key, it's called Keying the Makeup Show. So I started to do this with Xander Rhodes, probably in about 1984. And because um, my makeup style was incredibly detailed, it was impossible for me to do detailed makeup on 20 models in sort of like three hours. So I used to um, make these stick-on makeup designs um Mm -hmm. out of um colored latex and i'd add in beads and and like rhinestones and they were quite elaborate so i did that for quite a few years and i remember even um at that point uh a buyer from i think it was like from um, sax fifth avenue came backstage to find me and said could you sell those things and i'm like oh my god no because they, they take like four hours each you know um so like no 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 i'm not i'm not selling them. but you know that idea stuck like fast forward like 20 years later I, I started to see that people were cutting up bits of material and sticking them on people again um for the fashion shows um and one of the big challenges i had was to do a poster for Pink Floyd, which was the back catalogue poster where they wanted um, six models' backs painted with um, six images of their best-selling album covers. And the thing was um, I had been working with an amazing art director called Storm Thorson, who started the design company Hypnosis. Anyways, he came to me and he said, Phyllis, this is what I want you to do. I want you to paint six blacks as the six um, best-selling album covers for Pink Floyd, but we have a problem. And the problem is that um, the location we found uh, we only have it for eight hours, so you. I can only give you six hours to paint these six backs. And I went and I wow. thought, oh my God, you know, how am I going to do this? So I thought, hmm, you know, if I could make like stencils for each layer of color, for each like image that could be overlaid a bit like a silkscreen process, then I could probably, you know, reduce the time. Um, and we did it. We did the back catalogue, which is, I think, quite a um, well-known image in six hours. It's a
0: very cool image, listeners. You've got to check it out because <laughs> it is a very cool image. <laughs> uh,
1: but then the stencil um, thing became um, something that I was known for. I became known for being able to do uh, these body paintings um, that were really elaborate in a very short space of time, but I was spending all my time cutting these um, stencil layers by hand, and then I discovered there was a machine that could do it. And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> um, and so I started to use this machine and create even more intricate stencils. And so, okay, that that was one sort of era, avenue of where I was making these very intricate shapes, and then. As well, I was seeing um, on the catwalk at the end of the 90s and early noughties that people were beginning to cut things up and stick them on models' faces again for the fashion shows. And these things kind of dovetailed together. And in about probably around 2005, I started to play around myself with, you know, cutting things up and using my machine. And finally, in around 2010, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to do some research and figure out if this is a possibility to make intricate makeup designs that can be just lifted off and applied to the skin for, like, instant, like, wow makeups. It took about a year of experimentation, and finally I worked it out and made my first collection in uh, February of 2012 and we launched it on the back of a fashion show so you know interesting how things always come full circle around
0: yeah that that is an incredible story of your journey to face lace phyllis what do you think your um greatest challenge has been to date and what did you learn from it
1: you know i I suppose i always think of challenges as something wonderful i Mm -hmm. actually love challenges um and i i um I really relish them because it usually is a chance for me to go in a different direction than I ever thought I would. So, um, I work a lot with other pro makeup artists, which I really love. Um, I do have done a lot of stuff with Sarah Tano, um, who's the makeup artist for Lady Gaga. Um, and that has been fantastic cause she'll throw something at me. Um, like recently, um, Oh, okay. Well, there's a few. So back in, uh, was it, 2018 or no 2016 Sarah got in touch with me and said Phyllis um do you have a design that can be pulled off really quickly and leave the makeup underneath undisturbed and I was like hmm and I said well I have this design that it's only attached on these two areas so you should be able to peel it off and the makeup remain perfect underneath so this was actually um what we started working on for Lady Gaga's um Super Bowl appearance that she did when she was the main act of the Super Bowl in 2016. You know we were still like working on it and sending you know samples back and forth and like no she wants this color crystals can you redo it with these crystals and we sent it off um, on a Friday and the and the Super Bowl was on the Saturday. I know, I know. And uh, the only people that can get it that quick are FedEx. So it was like, okay, FedEx, you got to do this. You got to do this. And, you know, she did get them on the Saturday. And it was like, oh, phew. But then, you know, there's always a thing with celebrities. And I know this from my own experience, that you can talk about an idea and you get everything ready and everyone like busts a gut trying to get everything ready just perfect. And then it can just not feel right. And, and they say, no, no, no look, we're going to play it safe and we're going to do this. So I didn't know. I knew that she had gotten these fancy Swarovski eye wing things, uh, but I didn't know if she was going to use them. So I stayed up to like 3 a.m. UK time <laughs> to find out if they were used and on Twitter, because that's kind of, I think, the most immediate social media thing. And um, just waiting to find out if she used them or not. And um, I started seeing people saying, oh, wow, look at that beautiful sparkly thing that she's got around her eyes. It was like, yes, yes, yes. Um, And um, so after, I mean, I think her performance lasted like 16 minutes or something. And after about eight minutes, she goes off stage and she returns like a minute later and she doesn't have these things on anymore. And I remember people going, what? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> People were like really confused like how did that happen? How how could she completely change her makeup look in like a minute? Um so we kind of made makeup history um doing that which was just fantastic. So
0: you learned a lot from that in the way that something you thought potentially couldn't be possible was possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So Phyllis, would you say that your challenges are mainly design led rather than running the business and growing the business?
1: Oh, well, that, that's that been a big challenge too, uh, of course. Of and course. what's
0: been the biggest challenge running the business so far? Um, and what do you think you've learned?
1: Uh, well, I, I think um, in the first six months of trying to run a business, I really realized, like, oh, my God, I didn't realize how perfectly I was cast as a makeup artist because as a makeup artist, all you have to do is you get a brief and you turn up at the job and then you go home and, you know, <laughs> wait for the next one, right? There's really not that much responsibility, Um, you know, it's really nice, you get involved in something for, um, I mean, I only did fashion, I didn't do film, so, you know, my commitment to various things was a few days, maybe a week at the most. Um, So I mean, in in terms of commitment and responsibility, I mean, of course, I'm really responsible when I'm on the job and getting everything ready for each thing. but. At least to the extent that my career, uh, makeup career, um, evolved to, it was pretty straightforward. Someone else was doing invoicing for me. I had an agent. They were negotiating everything for me. So I had to really learn a lot really a lot and I, and you I, have I, a
0: team supporting you now doing bits and bobs do you
1: yeah I mean obviously I use an accountant and I have yep. a business advisor and I have a few of my core team that help me um, make the designs and you know they're all trained up of how to use the machines and how to weed and uh, I'm always the one that's, that designs it um, and I, I IP register everything before it's launched um, and just Everything about running a business is difficult.
0: <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? And I think the IP side is massive. And that, I think, is one of the challenges as you grow as a brand is that you get people who think, oh, I'll take a slice of that. I'll just tweak mm. it and adapt it. And, and off they go, which yeah. which is, is soul-destroying in a way. Phyllis, on the sustainability side with your designs, which are everybody divine, you've just got to check them out. They are works of art that you put on your face. Are there challenges around that? I mean, I was reading recently that you were looking at the fabric of cork
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: but how are you going to be able to create that that delicate the sort of delicate, intricate side of the business? Is that going to be a challenge, or do you think it's it's something that is going to be relatively swift and easy to adapt to
1: um well. You know, we always try to use as much um, sustainable packaging as we can. So um, I only use like um, you know uh, recycled cardboard for the packaging, and I use um, eco-friendly cello sleeves and uh, just like paper instructions. Mm-hmm. So uh, that side is as um, eco-friendly as we can possibly be uh, in terms of the materials I use. Unfortunately, um, the Material that everyone loves most that we use is this amazing shiny rainbow stuff, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately is a polyurethane, which isn't so bad in terms of all the plastics, um, but not great. Um, And so I did really want to try to find a material that was really, really beautiful, but that Mm -hmm. was sustainable. And um, I have been to several um, sustainable fabric fairs uh, to try to research this, and I found this cork. material, which I thought was just so beautiful because the natural patterns, uh, in cork are are just amazing. Um, so I made a design out of that and, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's cut out of this cork material. It's on a paper, um, which is made from, uh, it's completely recycled and biodegradable. So I was really happy that I was able to at least do one design that was completely sustainable. And I'm looking to do more. Phyllis, has,
0: um, how has COVID affected you and your team and working together? I was reading that, you know, it sounded lovely that you cook uh, lunch for your team, <laughs> which must create a real cohesion. But um, how, how are you all coping with our current COVID-19 existence?
1: Yeah, well, you know, for the first like four years, The facelace was operating out of a room in my house, which is the same room I'm talking to you from. So um, when lockdown happened, you know, we all worked together for uh, a few days and figured out exactly what I would need to bring back home with me. And facelace operations basically happened from the same room where they started for, you know, four years before. So I brought back all the materials, all the packaging, all the designs, and my team uh, was helping me um, do all the admin side, and I would just uh, um, place all the orders, uh, fill all the orders from home. And we worked like that for, uh, for March until uh, restrictions were lifted, like in July. We're sort of now doing a combination of uh, working from home and work going to the office and that's working well. And if there's another lockdown, we'll probably do the same thing and I'll bring everything back home again and, you know, fill orders from home.
0: That's fantastic. Phyllis, what do you think you've learned about yourself with your business?
1: I've learned, um, I mean, I'm not somebody who likes to be really bossy, but I have learned that I have to be a boss. And that has been quite difficult. Um, and to learn how to do that well, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so, I mean, and, and especially I think since COVID happened, and, you know, um, we're all kind of working remotely and then we do bits together. Um, I've learned that I have to um, be really on top of what everyone is doing and learn how to do that without um, sounding, um, uh, to do that in a kind way. You know and to do it in a helpful way and a collaborative way and a cooperative way so you know that my team feels like we are genuinely working as a team rather than and that i do feel that i feel as though we're a team it's not like me 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 and then all these people under me you know uh i work well probably like four times as many hours as as my team but that's fine i've always worked like that so it's no it's no new thing for me I am very compassionate about my team. I really love them. I try to appreciate every single thing that they do for me. And if something goes wrong, you know, I try to say, okay, let's try to work out, you know, how this happened and let's try to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, That
0: leads me on to my question, Phyllis, how do you recover from mistakes?
1: Yeah, I do try to think of everything. And that comes all the way back from the way I used to work as a makeup artist, I think. (laughs) because I'm naturally really really forgetful (laughs) I'm really forgetful I'm a real (laughs) scatterbrain so in order to counteract that I have to like um really make lists and um like before if I was preparing for a really complicated makeup job or I'm doing like this elaborate body painting whatever I was like like no one can talk to me for six hours while I'm preparing because I have these lists going on in my head and if somebody distracts me for for even one second I'll be like oh What was they doing? What? What? God! What was that thing? I had to remember. I'm just awful. Um, So, so you forget
0: uh, your mistakes? Is that how you recover? A natural forgetting process. No, no. I have
1: to work like ten times as hard to make sure that I've tried to think of everything that could possibly go wrong. And I think sometimes, like when we're preparing for. a specific job or an order. Um, and I, and I, I remember, I might remember, okay, this went wrong. So I'll be sending you like a, a 20 emails, like, please remember to do this one thing because this happened, this went wrong.
0: last time. Yeah. I know you, one learns, do I mean, from one's mistakes, don't you? Whatever one does and it backfires, you think I'm never, ever, ever yeah. going to do that again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Phyllis,
0: moving on to the quick fire round before our chocolate break, yay. Um, just a simple answer to these Four little things optimist or pessimist?
1: Oh, optimist. Oh, for sure.
0: Introvert, extrovert, or ambivert?
1: Ooh, what's the ambivert? Sort of, it's probably marriage, me. A mix, a mix. Yeah, it's definitely an amb- Yeah, probably I'm more of an introvert. Yeah. Interesting. But okay, introvert with a tiny bit of ambivert.
0: With a twist. Yeah. <laughs> perfectionist or non perfectionist? Oh,
1: perfectionist. Oh, my God.
0: Early bird or night owl?
1: Oh, night owl. I knew you were going to say that.
0: I thought, <laughs> I thought you were a lady of the night in oh, a nice yeah. way, in a nice yep. way, Phyllis. Yeah, so yeah, have yeah. you got your chocolate bar by your side?
1: I do. So, and amazingly, it's, it's remained unopened this whole time. Yeah, so
0: is mine. It's a whopping 150 grams I've mm. got in my hands. So, uh, mm. our, The producer, lovely Chris, who remains silent because we're not in a studio anymore, uh, he doesn't have this. But anyway, Phyllis and I will be tucking in. And um, this is a lint. Le Grand, 34% hazelnut True. chocolate bar. And I was, with Lindt, they were real movers and shakers in the chocolate world. And mm. um, R- R- Rodolph, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, uh, Lindt, invented a process called conching back in 1879. And in layman's terms, that's how you get that sort of melt in the mouth ah. sensation and it influences the flavor of the chocolate too. So lint actually was a real mover and a shaker. And artisan chocolatiers, the Bean to Bar guys, have developed the conching process and some conched up to 72 hours. So Phyllis, tell us why you've picked this bar as I unwrap <laughs> it and tuck in.
1: Okay, why, I'm going to unwrap
0: what, what's, what's the association with this extremely decadent chocolate bar? Which it is it decadent? What, Well, it's whopping great hazelnuts and (laughs) smothered in milk chocolate. And I would say that one would probably have to get the weights out afterwards. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I do quite like fancy chocolate bars, but in terms of what I can get like at the supermarket, I think this is quite a luxurious chocolate bar. And I love nuts. Um, I'm lucky I don't have a nut allergy because I do love all nuts. Um, Yeah, I just, I think it... it, um, it's really nice on the tongue. It melts really nicely. And I really like the contrast between the very smooth chocolate and the crunchy hazelnuts. I was going to
0: say, it's the crunch, isn't it? Funny enough, yeah. our guest on the previous episode, Perry, picked a dark hazelnut bar, funnily enough. So we've had yeah. nuts, nuts and chocolate I love. Phyllis, what are your thoughts on the words success and failure? What do they mean to
1: you? Well, you know, it's really interesting. There was a phase, our sales were really slow, and we had just taken on this office in East London, and things were just, you know, they just weren't progressing at all, and I was actually thinking of selling face lace, because I just thought, you know, it's just not working, it's just not working, and, you know, it was it was that summer in August, when I was away, that serotonin Saratano, who's uh, Lady Gaga's makeup artist, called up mm-hmm. and said, Phyllis, you know, I need to have a really big chat with you. There's something really important I want to talk to you about. And that was the call to uh, collaborate and, and make um, bespoke face lace designs for House Labs, which was Lady Gaga uh, new makeup line that was launching a, a year later. So, you know, just goes to show that sometimes when you think things have hit rock bottom, uh well that's how it happened for me you know when when you think okay i've done everything i possibly can and you know we have all these great endorsements and still mm-hmm. it's not enough you know things mm-hmm. just aren't really happening um that something happens like it is that. i
0: mean yeah that sort of flick of a switch isn't it you, exactly you are, it, it is incredible skipping yeah. on to the well-being phyllis as you munch away on the unhealthy bar of chocolate <laughs> how and where does stress affect you
1: well sorry she's disappeared into the chocolate Mm -hmm. I've always been somebody who needed to have their own little world and even as a kid you know the teachers would always write in the report cards you know she could be quite bright like about me yeah, but she just daydreams all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's like me to a T. You know, I can I can happily just stare at a wall for an hour um, because my mind is just going. My, you know, it's just like off in of some fantasy land. You know.
0: So is that how you cope with stress? Then you daydream. Yeah, me. I think
1: I just go into Phyllis' world, whatever that is. Sounds know. a good
0: good technique. Perhaps you should be sharing that on Instagram. No. Uh, Phyllis is daydreaming.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, and, you know, I I love to draw, and that's my thing, you know. And, you know, when lockdown happened and Julie and I discussed having his father come to stay with us because, you know, the idea of him being on his own for three months was just a horrifying idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, okay, you know, it's going to be quite strange, but um, I think as long as we all have our own zones in the house it'll be fine so, and you know we have a fairly big house so as long as we all had our zones where we could sort of feel independent from each other it it would work but that sort of independent thing is really important for me and um i think that's one of the main reasons why i usually stay up late to work a because um i love working at night you know it's really quiet i know no one's going to disturb me um and i can just go into phyllis land you know? <laughs> Or Phyllis' world, and just like daydream about, you know, new ideas or just garbage, really. I don't know. <laughs> just, you know, and also I find that when I'm designing, um, that's when the best ideas happen is really late at night, almost when I'm too tired to think properly. When do you
0: sleep then, Phyllis?
1: Oh, I sleep from sort of like 2 a.m. onwards. I I sleep, um, yeah, usually I'm going to sleep about 2 a.m., sometimes 3 a.m., sometimes 4 a.m., especially with lockdown because, you know, I don't really need to be anywhere, so I I get up at like 10, you know.
0: And Phyllis, how important is well-being for you?
1: Uh, I eat really well with my husband. He's half Italian. He's a great cook. You know, he is a good gardener. We're getting stuff from our garden. Um, So we eat really well. And it's something I've been interested in for a long time. I was doing lots of yoga, but not much anymore. You know, I do a few online classes here and there. But um, I would say um, when you have a focus where you're uh, very concerned with somebody else's well being, you do tend to not spend so much time thinking about yourself.
0: It's important that balance, isn't it?
1: It is really, really important. Uh, but um, yeah. So far, you know, so, so far so good with Ray, who's my 101, 102-year-old father-in-law who just celebrated his birthday, his 102nd birthday on September 14th, you know, pretty amazing. Um, and that's been an incredible experience as well, living with somebody. He
0: obviously has got the knack for well-being.
1: Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I... <laughs>
0: I was reading actually about or walking and apparently one needs to go on a walk which fills you with awe. and um, Trinity mm. College Dublin and the University of California looked into walks with a sense of awe, so with waterfalls or with yeah. a sort of physical landscape and they asked, what was quite interesting was they asked two groups to go out into nature, one on a sort of casual walk and the other one on a specific sort of going to see some amazing sight. And they found out that the people on the casual stroll, despite doing more walking, actually didn't have the positive um, emotive state and just as much compassion and gratitude as the people who went on the shorter walks, but had these incredible vistas mm. that they saw. Mm, Interesting. and And they were saying that they thought it brought people outwards rather than inwards. But I mean, I certainly walk every day. You don't do anything like that for your...
1: No, not really. Keep your
0: joints moving.
1: No. <laughs> um, I have been going into the office, as they say, you know, so I'm doing that. But uh, no, uh, not really. No, it's kind of bad.
0: Well, it sounds if like your husband is, is helping you with the well-being. And if you get the well-being tips from Ray, you'll be rocking along. Phyllis, do you have a book or a song that you would like to share with our listeners at all?
1: I love books. Um, I'm just reading james baldwin because i've never read him before
0: i haven't read him what book would you recommend that we know i'm just
1: finishing um and the train is gone or something like that okay about um,
0: so we need to check that
1: yeah he's an amazing writer he writes um in a style which one of those authors that makes it look easy like his writing style is not complicated but yeah. it's, it's, it's very precise and descriptive, just beautiful writing.
0: I'm definitely um, going to put that on the top of my reading list.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's written quite a few books. And, you know, what he's is- somebody I always heard of. Like, he, he um, I think his heyday of writing was sort of the 50s and 60s, perhaps, 50s, uh, 50, 50, 60s, 70s, maybe. Um, yeah, just an amazing author. What
0: advice would you give people thinking of starting up their own business?
1: well you know i i started my business like not with any kind of plan and now how many years later now eight years later i can see <laughs> that that probably would have been a really good idea
0: yeah, Although... i can vouch for that i set mine <laughs> up with no plan it's like oh my god
1: <laughs> the one thing i had going for me is that i knew my market you know for sure i knew my market mm-hmm. which was you know the pro makeup market because i had lived that for 35 years, you know, so mm-hmm. I knew it. Um, And I, I think that's critical. You got to really know your market and know yep. where the gap is. But finances and stuff, I had no idea. I had no mm-hmm. idea how to do costing. I still don't know how to do an Excel sheet. And um, I still mess them all up if someone gives them to me.
0: <laughs> I think <laughs> I, though, Phyllis, the advice would be that people do get a grip on the financials, isn't it? I mean, I think margins are absolutely key. Like you, I set up my chocolate business with no idea about my margins. And they were yeah. huge when I set up, I just thought oh, I'll double the money. And I, you know, that I was really lucky. But then obviously there comes a point where you can't keep doubling the money and yeah. therefore the margins don't really sort of add up. Yeah. But um, very, very sound advice on the mar- knowing your market. So Phyllis, um, where have you had to have Um, hope in your life it can be business or personal and where have you had to have patience
1: I think I'm always I always have hope yeah I think that's a a really natural part of me
0: from your optimism
1: I'm very optimistic Mm. you know if you give me a problem I will try to figure out a solution and patience I'm I'm very patient (laughs) I'm really patient yeah yeah I really am I think so why you, have you
0: had to have patience though for something to come off or for something to happen what have you got an example of that
1: yes well yeah when we first started to work with factories one of the first factories we work with they had a more laissez-faire kind of attitude and um, we were hitting deadlines and they were like oh yeah yeah we'll have the sample tomorrow And there would be like two weeks later And we'd be like, where's the sample? Where's the sample? And they're like, oh yeah, we had a few problems. Like, why are you telling us you had problems now? Um, (laughs) So, you know, that was very difficult to um, sometimes work with other people who were um, a bit freer with saying that they could get something done when they actually, you know, were unsure of it, but didn't want to share that (laughs) information. Whereas I'm always really honest. I'm not somebody who will blag something ever. If I can't do something, I'll say straight off, no, I I really don't think um, I can do that. Or I will say, "I, I need a few weeks to work that out, and then I'll let you know if I can do it. I never, ever say, oh, yeah, no problem. So that was quite a shock and something I had to have patience with
0: phyllis where can the listeners find face lace what if you'd like to share the website and um, social media i'm going to pop in that there's a very good video phyllis at work which is just incredible at colart.com c-o-l-a-r-t.com but phyllis where where else can they find you And your
1: goodies yeah thank you um i we have a website which is www.face-lace.com we have an instagram account which is face underscore lace we have facebook we have twitter and where can they
0: get they buy from you online phyllis is that where they get your makeup yes
1: um you can buy it from our website which is as i say face-lace.com or uh, we have some stockists in america germany france
0: And they can presumably find your stockists on your website too, can't they? Yes, yes, yes. I'd love to thank you, Phyllis, so much for coming on the show. It has been a real eye-opener into an industry that I had absolutely no idea about. And, you know, to hear the incredible people that you've met and your experiences is just phenomenal with gems for us all to share. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, very honored that you would ask me. And um, it just gives me really wonderful feelings that, you know, from all those years ago when we met, that something like this came out of it. And I know when I'm working, I listen to podcasts all the time.
0: Thank you, Phyllis, very much. So anyway, before I go, here is my book recommendation and quote for this episode. The book is absolutely just one of my faves. It's Life Lessons from a Brain Surgeon by Dr. Rahul J- dyle And it's, it is just incredible. You've really just mm. got to read it. He talks about um, brain health. And um, I heard him talk at the Life Lessons event last year at sunday times and he is a top brain surgeon and his book just rock so highly recommend that and then the quote is from john milton the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven a huge thank you for finding the show i hope you enjoyed the chat Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episode and if you're enjoying the show, it would be truly fab if you could rate and review it. Any book recommendations, quotes, songs can be found in the show notes and on the website too. Until the next time, however tough the times get, keep that inner sparkle you have. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk Find Amelia on Facebook at Hope and Patience or on Twitter and Instagram at Amelia underscore rope.